electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody, and what a mess it is for technology stocks again today. And by the way, the rest of the market isn't looking that great either. Just saw Goldman there. It's down half a percent. But the Nasdaq sinking below a key technical level, the 200-day, as it falls 10% from its recent highs. Many components are down a lot more than that. Is it all Goldman's fault in the other sense that the bank is now forecasting four rate hikes this year? We'll get the latest on the Fed and the fallout. Plus, Jamie Dimon Live, the J.P. Morgan Chase chairman and CEO, joins us for a first on CNBC interview. His 2022 outlook on the markets, rates, crypto, COVID, and so much more. And it all comes on an ironic anniversary, one year since the Reddit rebellion. We'll look at the biggest meme stock winners and the losers since then, with it getting obviously a little tougher for the losers lately. Let's start with Dom Chu. He can give us the market state of play. Dom? The state of play right now is really about that NASDAQ trade, as you just mentioned. And Kelly did mention that 200-day moving average for the NASDAQ composite, 14,688. That is the key level. That's that 200-day average price. We haven't seen a dip below there in quite some time, which is catching a lot of trader attention. That's the reason why we're seeing the NASDAQ composite just at about 2% right now off the session lows. The Dow Industrial is off nearly 400 points, 1% losses there. And the S&P 500, 46,000, or 4614 rather, down about one and three quarters or one and a third percent rather overall. If you take a look at the story for what's moving right now, interest rates, a big part of that story, two year highs for that 10 year Treasury note yield at one point today, currently just about one point seven, eight percent. It got north of one point eight percent at the highs of the session so far in terms of yield. That's hitting many technology sectors that are categorized as more growth focused. Think cloud computing. Think semiconductors. Indicative here. Look at Snowflake down five and a half percent. Shopify down five and a half percent. Marvell Technology for chips down to almost five and a half percent and four percent declines for NVIDIA as well. So that tech trade front and center. And then cryptocurrencies. A good part of the thesis for buying Bitcoin had been a store of value, had been an inflation hedge. If the Fed is going to fight aggressively to fight inflation by raising interest rates multiple times this year, hypothetically, what does that do to Bitcoin demand? Well, it might sap it just a little bit. At one point today, 39750 We dipped below that 40000 level. Currently, though, the volatility plays out down 3%, 41160 But across the board, Kelly, crypto, it doesn't matter if it's Bitcoin or Ether or Litecoin, Solana, you pick them. They're pretty much in the red today. I'll send things back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you very much. Let's, let's get down to Mike Santoli now at the New York Stock Exchange. Mike, a day like today, there's a, a narrative and headlines that make it seem very simple. You know, interest rates are up, tech stocks are down. Okay, fine. Why is Goldman down? Why is the Dow doing what it is? There's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. Yes, uh, and, and has for a while. Uh, it, it is a convenient and not entirely incorrect idea that when yields go up, it means markets are repricing for something. What? Faster economic growth, 
the Fed looking to fight inflation. Maybe the marginal dollar is seen as better placed in areas outside of disinflationary tech uh, businesses, like whether it is banks, energy, whatever. We've learned that lesson very well. But just look back to last year to say that this is not some kind of magic formula, and it's not a textbook relationship in my mind. It's much more about fund flows and psychology related to all this. It's not about discounting future cash flows principally. Anyway, the 10-year yield during 2021 went from 0.9% up to above 1.5%. Over the course of that year, tech and growth outperformed value and other industries, right? So it's not as if there was somehow uh, this impossibility of higher yields, meaning that, uh, that tech goes down. You want to look at real yields, maybe that makes the difference. The marginal dollar does go in that direction. And before COVID, by the way, tech was much more correlated directly with yields, meaning they moved in the same direction as opposed to the opposite. I go back all the way to the years when tech was considered a cyclical business. So nothing is a perfect ironclad perpetual relationship. And aside from trying to figure out, you know, the the relationships, what would you say to people, Mike, who go, okay, well, can I basically stay in financials and energy and, you know, not have to watch the market and do great this year? I would doubt that you're going to be able to kind of set it and forget it in a sector mix if you care about outperforming the market over the course of 12 months. There's going to be pendulum swings along the way. Uh, I do think there's probably a little more of a valuation ceiling when it comes to the value sectors, right? It's very difficult to say we have this new era of thinking that's going to puff up bank and, uh, and energy valuations indefinitely the way you can with some growth businesses. So I think, you know, pay attention, keep expectations low, stay involved as always to me uh, makes the most sense. And, and you know, don't think that uh, there's any magic key to, to sorting out uh, or, or out, you know, outmaneuvering the markets, unfortunately. Yeah. Stay nimble is what I always remember Art Cashin saying That's right. <laughs> down on the Every floor. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. We'll check back in soon. Mike Santoli. All the value investors are feeling pretty good right now. My next guest is certainly a fan of the stocks, and she says these trades can keep working. Let's welcome in Ellen Lee, portfolio manager at Causeway Capital. Ellen, it's great to have you here today. What do you think is going on with the market? Is it about interest rates? Right now, yeah, for sure. I mean, with inflation where it is and the expectation of inflation, I think it is um, probable for the market to be concerned about multiple rate hikes. And if you take that backdrop into consideration, you know, value stocks look good. Defensive looks good. Let's give some examples um, of what you think looks good. And, And for some stocks that have already had a strong start to the year, you know, how much more room to run do you see? I think there is definitely more room to run. I think we're just getting started. Um, The things that I like right now today are the things that haven't worked last year, things in defensives, most uh, specifically in healthcare, utilities, and staples. And one of the stocks that we really like is stocks like Mondelez that have pricing power, but it didn't have a lot of excitement last year, but this year it's off to a good start. And on a relative basis, even within the defensives, Companies that have done well, you know, stocks in the space of spirits or cosmetics, those have been laggards because valuations are outrageous levels. Stocks like this obviously underperformed the market last year. I think the funds you know, that you guys are involved with did well, but returned about half of what the market did overall. Why do you think this year is going to be different? Because, you know, as previously said, expectations are lower and um, valuations are more reasonable. And people are looking for you know, stocks on a relative basis that they'll be more ensured that the cash flows will come today. 
Whereas a few years from now. Yeah, and I can see why a name like Mondelez makes sense, but the you know sort of technology staples names to me would seem to also be a very good bet. You know, it seems like the same argument you could make for a Mondelez, you could make for a Facebook, or you could make for an Amazon, which has gone nowhere for 18 months. Amazon's PE is higher, Facebook certainly is not. So what would you do with big cap tech right now? I think, you know, there is also sentiment in the market. Also, you know, there's less liquidity in the market with what, you know, central banks around the world are doing. And those stocks that you mentioned, obviously, you know, each stock is different for sure. And there are stock specific issues. But if there's a huge tech sell off, I don't think those companies are immune from that. Yeah. And I mean, we've already seen that being the case. I think Facebook's down 17 percent from its recent peak. Part of this story and even part of the interest rate in the Fed hike story is really a reopening story, isn't it? It's about people looking past Omicron, seeing normalization and betting on that. So what are the reopening names that you think are attractive here? We really like, you know, Rolls Royce and also Las Vegas Sands. I know people may think it's crazy to think about Macau casino openings. But if you think about the more immediate reopening trades, the cyclicals, the high quality names, those have all run up. But there are COVID laggards that people haven't taken into consideration. And we like companies like Las Vegas Sands and Rolls Royce, which is geared toward long haul international travel. And finally, what do you say about inflation? You know, does inflation have can inflation peak and interest rates still keep going higher and reopening plays still work this year? Kelly, to be honest, I'm not in the business of predicting inflation, to be honest, and I don't know if it's going to be transitory. So we're really going to focus on companies that have low expectations and are uh, well-placed or relatively well-placed for an inflationary environment. But in the short term, I am worried about labor costs and rents being sticky. Well, even the experts got it wrong in a lot of cases on inflation this year. So your caution is warranted. A final comment as people look through the performance this year. We just showed RK is down 13 percent from its peak. Um, there are other areas like cloud computing that are down big as well. When would those stocks look attractive to you? I mean, for value investors like me, I think the valuation has to come down a lot more. But you know, if you look at relative to the market and how big tech stocks, uh, tech as a group has been in the index, I think some of it has to come closer to at least, you know, where historical levels have been to make it look attractive. So in other words, we are not there yet. <laughs> Absolutely not. Ellen, thank you so much for your time today. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Ellen Lee with Causeway Capital. Still ahead, Jamie Dimon live on the markets, rates, crypto and COVID. You don't want to miss the J.P. Morgan CEO in just a few minutes. Plus more on this market sell off. My next guest says it's not time to panic, but he also tells us the key thing he's watching that could change that. And as we head to break, Nike, Visa and Boeing are weighing on the Dow today. But there are several names still in the green. Merck leading the way. Intel, Amgen, IBM higher as well. Stay with us. This is The Exchange on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. 
That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back, everybody. Stocks are selling off on concerns that the Fed will be forced to move fast on hiking interest rates. The Dow and S&P are down more than 1%, while the Nasdaq is down one point. Uh, there it is in the middle. 1.8% right now. My next guest is saying, don't panic. Joining me now is Dennis Berman. He's managing director and financial advisory at Lazard. He's checking his phone for those deal updates, the, the, that advisory work, even as we speak. Dennis, it's, it's really good to see Thanks. you again. You Great think, to see you, Callie. You Happy think, New Year. Happy New Year. So you think the hawkishness about sort of rate hikes right around the corner is a little yeah. overdone. Tell me where your optimism comes from. Well, look, uh, I don't necessarily want to get into directly... Uh, uh, predicting interest rates and, and where they're going. But, uh, you know, we look at the, say, the current sell-off over the past few weeks, Kelly, and even on that basis, if you scroll back on the CNBC screen and, and look where the uh, stock charts have moved from 2021 into 2022, it's still a relatively minor uh, pullback. I think the bigger concern, perhaps more than uh, interest rates, wherever they may go, uh, is, is the inflation question as it relates to just the sheer earnings um, power and earnings leverage inside many of the companies inside S&P 500 and certainly in, in uh, tech companies as well, as well, Kelly. So uh, from my perspective, hey, you know, um, it was an incredible run in 2021 for yeah. stocks. Um, you know, is it going to go down? Yeah. Is there reason to panic? Uh, you know, I, 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 you, I don't, you, uh, you. I, I, I would say no. Okay, you think rates are going to remain low even if they start rising, but we're starting to hear some different tunes out of, you know, Goldman now thinks there's going to need to be four rate hikes this year. Bill Dudley writing today says, you know, the former Fed official says, I have news for those who think the Fed has turned more hawkish on inflation. It has only just begun. So we know from watching markets for a long time, Dennis, that right at the time people are most freaking out is usually when the counter trend starts. It would seem mm-hmm. like today would probably be the epitome of that. I mean, how much more can you get after four hikes from Goldman and Dudley saying, you know, they're going to have to raise rates to, I don't know what the neutral rate is, 2 or 3% in 18 months? I mean, where do we go from here? Right. Well, look, I'm not going to make a specific uh, interest rate prediction. I will point out the following, that the economy, uh, as we experience it on a day-to-day basis, as we understand it on an abstract overall basis, Kelly, the economy is somewhat in turmoil. If you look at the absences across the uh, logistics space, if you look at the, the stoppages across transportation, uh, those are conditions that uh, I do think make it harder, at least in the immediate uh, course, to, to, to raise rates. The economy is, is kind of a, a mess right now, just simply getting people to work healthy in a way that's necessary for, for uh, productivity. So uh, at least as it relates in, in the near term, I think that's one thing that needs to be considered as uh, as sort of the, the year goes on. For Question. Sure. Right now, a lot of people at home 
watching us. Yes. No, absolutely. A question to you on the liquidity front, which does underpin a lot of what's going on. We look at the declines in crypto. We look at the underperformance of the IPO ETF last year and to kick off this year and all the rest of it. What would you say about liquidity and deal flow? What should we expect for 2022? Is this going to result in people pulling back from the markets? Right. So uh, I will make the general observation, Kelly. Uh, the flows, in, particularly into private equity over the last, certainly the last year, and certainly in the previous five years, but really intensified in 2021 and 2022, the capital markets have just a very different flavor than they did uh, just probably, certainly prior to, to the pandemic. The amount of capital that is willing to take an illiquidity, uh, perhaps discount or premium, depending on the situation, I think is, is you know, objectively higher than ever. Uh, look at the flows into all the major uh, private equity funds, a number of uh, private uh, opportunities in that way. Crypto is, is its own world, right? It lives by its own it's set not. of Or maybe it's not. It seems to act as if it's part of the <laughs> high value, high multiple tech world, and it's just behaving the way the rest of them are. Right. Well, again, uh, I, this would be another great chart for you to put up uh, on the screen, Kelly. Uh, volatility on uh, crypto versus, versus volatility in uh, tech stocks even. I think they're just t- totally different animals. So if if people are interested in crypto, they just have to live by those different laws of physics. As it relates to the world of capital and, and stocks and uh, corporate finance, uh, there is uh, certainly uh, more capital than ever. Are there changes around the edges? Yes. Uh, is there any evidence that suggests that that capital is is currently right now uh, not available. I, I, I don't see a lot of that. Interesting. And again, it's been a good environment for a lot of these stocks, the deal makers, the advisors, and all the rest of it. Dennis, it's great to have you here today. Thank you. Kelly, I want to see you soon. I hope it'll be in person. Thank you so much. I, I do too. Dennis Berman yeah. with Lazard. Still ahead, the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference is underway. Jamie Dimon joins us live for a first on CNBC interview in just a few moments. As we head to break, take a quick look at the fintech stocks, all selling off today with Robinhood, one of the biggest decliners. It's down almost 16%. It's below $15 a share right now. We're back in a moment. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back, everybody. Take a look at some of the declines we've seen in this market. Just since last Monday, we have the cloud computing ETF down more than 10%. We have ARK-K down more than 10%. We even have the home builders down more than 10%. Here to give us a little uh, deeper look into what's going on in this market, we turn to Bob Bassani. Robert? You know, the important thing is we are down today, but it's still a rotational market. Now, I know it doesn't seem that way with the S&P down 50 or 60 points, but let me just show you the sectors and what's going on. 
Tech continues to be the worst performing sector of the year as in opposition to what it was in 2021. But if you look, tech and and, uh, energy stocks and bank stocks are holding up very well, down a little bit today, but far and away holding up a lot better than technology. Defensive names like healthcare, for example, utilities, also down a bit, but holding up better. So there's some kind of rotation that's going on in the market. Mega cap tech, I think the most important thing about today is for the first time, I'm seeing a little extra selling pressure in mega cap tech as opposed to more speculative tech. So NVIDIA is 25% off its highs that it hit back two months ago, back in November. That's noticeable. The double-digit declines from their highs. Apple's not there. It's down about 7%. But semis are starting to get hit a little more seriously. Meantime, we're having a lot of the speculative names, the Kathy Wood names, hit 52-week lows today. So Teladoc, Zoom, uh, Square, Block, uh, Twilio, even bigger speculative names, uh, Twitter, for example, PayPal. It's at a 52-week low. Not exactly a speculative stock, PayPal, but at a 52-week low. At the same time, this is what I mean when I talk about rotation, banks are at new highs. All right, at the open, they were, they're down a little bit right now, but Bank of America, uh, Key Corp, Zion, a whole group of regional banks, super regional banks are at 52-week highs today. At the same time, a group of energy stocks are hitting new highs. These are all cyclical sectors. Uh, so, uh, ConocoPhillips, uh, Chevron, for example, some of the exploration and production companies like EOG uh, are hitting 52-week highs uh, as well. And then we have a smattering of some of the consumer names as well. Finally, just one point here, Kelly, we're seeing GameStop sort of drop dramatically in the middle of the day. We're sitting right around the lows of March of last year right now at about 120. It's got to be in the low 120s for it to get down to that very lowest level. That's another rather notable decline again today for GameStop. Guys, back to you. In a day of a lot of notable declines. Bob, thank you very much. Now to Rahel Solomon for a CNBC News update. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Kelly. And here's what's happening at this hour. We begin in New York City, where the death toll from that massive apartment fire has been reduced by two to 17 people. Dozens of people were hospitalized. Mayor Eric Adams says that the impact of the fire is far-reaching. Not only did this fire leave a burning pain in the hearts of people in this community, but it has left a burning pain in the children and the teachers and the faculties of this school. On the news tonight, searching for reasons why the fire spread so quickly and what could have limited the damage, that's tonight at 7 Eastern. U.S. Health Secretary Xavier Becerra is ordering Medicare to reassess a big premium increase. This after Biogen cut in half the price of its Alzheimer's medication. About half of this year's rate increase is attributed to potential costs from the new drug. And with the regular season over, heads are rolling at three NFL teams. Miami Dolphins have fired head coach Brian Flores after three seasons. The Dolphins lost seven consecutive games early in the season. Minnesota Vikings and Chicago Bears have also sacked both their head coaches and general managers, with both teams failing to make the playoffs. Cut throat, Kelly. I'll send it back to no you. No word on the Giants, Rahel? Not, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Rahel, thank you very much. Up next, fresh off the virtual stage from the 40th annual healthcare conference, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon joins us next. We're back in a moment.
Welcome back. We've been talking to the big names at J.P. Morgan's virtual health care conference throughout the day today. And our next guest is one of the biggest. J.P. Morgan Chase chairman and CEO Jamie Dimon joins us now along with CNBC's Bertha Coombs. Bertha? Thanks very much, uh, Kelly and Jamie. Thank you so much for joining us. Had really hoped that we'd be able to do this in person. I, I want to get to healthcare, but given where the markets are today and some interesting comments you made during uh, the keynote just now, I wanted to start off with the economy. Your sense is that the economy is in good shape. What's telling you that? Yeah, for further, first of all, I'm thrilled to be here. I think this is our first interview together, so uh, I look forward to it. And, uh, you know, you gotta, when you look at the economy, the consumer, Okay, now there's all respect to the fact that it's not true for all consumers. There's some still suffering and and we're still kind of working through this. But the consumer balance sheet has never been in better shape. They're spending 25 percent more today than pre-COVID. They've got two trillion dollars in their checking accounts. I have the wherewithal to spend more. They paid down a lot of debt. Their debt service ratio is better than it's been since we've been keeping records for 50 years. Home prices are up. Stock prices are up. Jobs are plentiful. Wages are going up. And that all tells you what's going to happen in the future. They're in pretty good shape. And businesses, confidence is high. They've got plenty of cash and capital. So underlying, we've had this strong economy. The numbers are herky-jerky. Inflation, growth, employment, unemployment, people going back to work, the great resignation. But that underlying stuff is paramount and is pushing, you know, we're going to have, what, the best growth year we've ever had this year, I think, since, you know, maybe sometime after, before the Great Depression, and so and next year will be pretty good, too. And obviously, there's some negatives out there, but those things look pretty good. The market is different, Bertha. And, you know, the market can have its own fluctuations and unrelated to the economy. And I think you need kind of this kind of growth to justify the market. So, you know, we're kind of expecting that the market will have a lot of volatility this year as rates go up and people kind of you know, redo projections and look at, you know, the effective interest rates and in businesses differently than they did before. One of the things that the market is focused on is the Fed. Goldman Sachs coming out this morning saying they now predict that the Fed may actually raise rates four times this year. You think the Fed may be able to engineer a soft landing, though? I hope so. You know, listen, Bertha, no one knows the future. And I again, I think what you really should do is go back to March of 2020 we were on our way to 15% unemployment, a lot of people dying from COVID, and no known vaccine. Now we've got unemployment around 4%, the consumer's in good shape, business is in good shape, you know, and, and those things are really good. The Fed, you know, you could say they, they should have started doing QE a little bit early and stuff like that. But, you know, if we're lucky, they can engineer a slowdown, and you'll see inflation coming down. You know, a lot of people project inflation to be 2.3% at the end of this year. I don't. I think it's going to be higher. But, you know, if we're lucky, the Fed will slow things down and we'll have what they call a soft landing, you know, and it's going to be a little bit like threading a needle. So you can't look at anything and say, that's my projection, because you really don't know. It's possible that inflation is worse than they think and the raise rates more than people think. I'd personally be surprised if it's just four increases next year. I, you know, I, I think that four increases 25 basis points is a very, very little amount and very easy for the economy to absorb. It's interesting. I thought one of the things that you said was that if we do get a Fed-induced recession, that doesn't have to be painful or long. Yeah. If you look at history, okay, and, you know, there's no common, you know, one type of recession, but a fairly common one is Fed's, Fed raising the rate to slow down the economy, overheated economy, to kind of keep inflation in check. And if I remember correctly, if you look at the six of them, some of them are just short. They were, you know, six months, nine months long. 
he didn't even go into negative growth really for you know much more than a quarter or so. And so, you know, and unemployment goes up, but not a lot. So hopefully that's the case. I do think you have underlying all of that a very strong consumer, very strong businesses, uh, and we're you know hopefully maybe Omicron. We don't know what the future variants will be, but hopefully uh, Omicron may be putting this COVID nineteen in the rearview mirror. And if that's true, you know we may have a very very good spring. You know. Obviously, healthcare has been one of the areas that's been causing inflation for a long time. But given that inflation is so hot, it seems relative now. Switching to healthcare, I want to talk about your new venture. You launched uh, Morgan Health last year. You tapped Dan Levinson, the, the founder and CEO of Avalier Health, to lead it. And one of the big parts of that is that you've got $250 million you're going to put to work in venture investments. Why is that so important? So, so look at the big picture here. So America's got some of the best healthcare in the world. Pharma, doctors, medicine, hospitals. I'm a beneficiary of that. But it's 18% of GDP. The rest of the world, or developed world, is at 9%. And we don't have the best outcomes. Our maternity care, our obesity, our cancer care, blood pressure is, is worse than a lot of other folks. So we can acknowledge those problems. And attack them. So we're attacking from the employer standpoint. We've got fabulous people who manage our health care, but, but, but Dan Mendelson has hired a great group of people and who are going to be using things like AI and cloud, uh, 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 accountable care. So we're trying this thing in Columbus through Vera, where we're going to try to get people more primary care physicians to help them navigate you know, through the healthcare system. If you would just do a better job managing people's blood pressure or managing musculoskeletal diseases, you can have better outcomes at a lower cost if you can intervene properly. If you get more people to do wellness programs, so and I think AI and cloud will do a lot here. So, uh, you know, we hope for better outcomes for our folks through better health care and more affordability. And as part of that effort, the team is also looking at the racial health care. Like, you know, it is true that people who are lower income, you know, have worse health care than people higher income. And we should do something about that. I should point out to the people on CNBC, J.P. Morgan for years has subsidized healthcare much more for lower paid individuals than for higher paid. Part, part of it in recognition of that. It, it, I talked to Dan about some of the efforts that they're doing, and they've gotten going very quickly. You've got one contract in Columbus, Ohio. You have 38,000 employees that is going to be based on trying to manage chronic conditions. And then you're working on a deal with Kaiser Permanente out in California to deal with these health equity issues yeah. and try to bring down those health disparities. But you're also spending $1.8 billion a year on health care. Certainly, you are intent on bringing those costs down. How do you measure success here? Is it about outcomes or is it about bringing costs down? It's, it's really about outcomes. You know, an out outcome, and you make a very important point. We spend like $35 billion a year on salaries, $2 billion a year on health care. But that $2 billion may be the most important. Now, that's 250 million people. If they take care of themselves, they have better lives, they're more productive, they're happier, they're taking care of their kids. So that is so important we get that right. And it's all about better outcomes. Better outcomes is that we know that you that we find out you have high diabetes, we do something about it. We find you have a high blood pressure, we do something about it. If you want to get you to navigate you through the healthcare system with more and more transparency, more affordability, but part of it will be affordability, both for the economy, the companies, and the individuals. Because the thing they you know complain a lot about is the cost of healthcare. Like this whole thing about surprise billing. You know, hospitals should stop surprise billing. There is one I know about who said we will not allow 
physician practicing here that are out of network. And so there are a million things we can do for transparency and getting consumers healthier, happier, and probably even at a lower cost. You know, a lot of what you've already started to do with Morgan Healthcare is what was the intent and the aim of your venture with Amazon and um, Berkshire Hathaway. Yet Haven never got off the ground. What went wrong there? Yeah, look, we learned a lot from our prior ventures, but we're on the same course. We started, the parties went different ways. We learned a lot and we're continuing on. So, you know, and we've the learning a lot part's important. You know, Jeff Bezos always talks about, you know, failure is you learn from something. So uh, I, I don't worry that much about what went wrong. What I worry about is what we learned and how we can go forward. We're lucky to get Dan Mendelson and his team uh, uh, involved. These folks are experts in, in healthcare and doctors and science and AI and working very closely with Bernadette and her team at J.P. Morgan who've been doing these complex healthcare things. So uh, I am convinced that this thing will have better outcomes for employees. And then if we learn things, we're going to share with the world, too. And there will be, in my view, and you've seen it already, a lot of policy things that people can do around hospitals, publishing prices, you know, surprise billings, uh, tele, I think telemedicine, digital, science, med, digital medicine, and you know, AI will really help uh, over time, too. One of the most important healthcare issues that you're dealing with right now, of course, is COVID and the new Omicron surge. Uh, at City, they have said that employees who are not vaccinated by the end of this week will lose their jobs. Where do you stand right now on mandates if they are upheld by the courts, which it appears for now at least they are? And what does that mean for back to work? Yeah, so, you know, we... We believe that going to work is a good thing, that people dealing with each other for innovation and creativity and just, just humanity is a good thing. Uh, and obviously, we're, not, we're here, unlike any of the policies we ever had, we're not trying to be consistent. Because, as you pointed out, there are different laws and different requirements in cities and states and schools. And so here we're adjusting locally. So in our main headquarters building, we have a vax mandate. But remember, 97 percent of the people are vaxxed. So to go to the office, you have to be vaxxed. And, you know, if you aren't going to get vaxxed, you won't be able to work in that office. And we're not going to pay you not to work in the office. So in other parts of the world, we're going to be quite different than that. But we want people to get vaxxed. But going back to work, we're, again, we have the same strategy. We're going to go back to work. Of course, you're going to have more hybrid and more flexibility as long as it works for the clients. This notion that it can only work for the employees is, isn't a fair notion. So, uh and we're, the other question is, I think people spend too much time. We don't have to answer this right away. Let's get back and we'll find ways to get the flexibility that makes sense and the tools that do that. And so uh, I'm quite, quite comfortable life after all this will look like, a lot like life did before. I also want to point out to the American people, uh, if I remember correctly, 100 million people go to work every single day. So all the time that everyone's sitting at home talking about this, that was 40 or 50 million people. Mm. Military goes to work, police goes to work, firemen go to work, sanitation, agricultural workers, bank branches, manufacturing, Amazon, UPS, FedEx, supply, logistics, meatpacking. You're talking about 40 or 50 million who, uh, it's great, there's flexibility. And over time, you know, if you could accommodate that, that's a great thing, but it's also got to work for the company. And so we'll, we'll find out ways to, you know, have the best of both worlds here. Like I said, it doesn't have to be the same everywhere. So as buildings get to 95 and 97 percent vaxxed in certain states, that may end up with a different policy than a different state. And that's fine, too. We're not looking for Nirvana here. You're not going to find it. 
Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm hopeful that maybe we can follow up on some of the progress that you make with Morgan Health in person one of these days. Yeah. So, Bertha, thank you very much for having me. I just want to point out, I like the fact we have a bipartisan infrastructure bill. Please, 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 let's all work together and collaborate. All of our problems are fixable. All of them. And American leadership is really needed desperately. All right. Thanks again, Jamie. Jamie Dimon, Chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Kelly, back to you. A great interview, Bertha. Thank you so much. You guys covered so much ground there from the economy to their efforts in healthcare. I think everyone is rooting for them to stop surprise billing in hospitals. Uh, but of course, we'll have all the headlines from that discussion. Bertha, thanks so much. And our thanks to Jamie Dimon as well. We do have stocks selling off today. The pressure continues even after those remarks. We're going to dig into what Diamond just had to say about rate hikes, how many he expects this year, and what that means for your portfolio. Dow's still down 1%. NASDAQ's down just under 1.5%. We're back in a moment. All right, everybody, welcome back. Quick check on markets. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon joining us just moments ago discussing everything from the future of health care to the rate hike timeline uh, with the Dow down a little less than 1% right now. We are down more than 600 at the lows today. Here's what Dimon himself expects from Powell and the Fed this year. Listen. You'd be surprised if it's just four increases next year. I, you know, I, I think that four increases 25 base points is a very, very little amount and very easy for the economy to absorb. You know, if you listen closely there, it sounds like he said, I'd be surprised if it were just four rate hikes. Joining me now is David Wagner, Aptus Capital Advisors Portfolio Manager. David, it's great to have you back. What, what's your takeaway from that? Yeah, I'm actually pretty surprised by that comment you just showed there right now, because just today, I really think that the market is really starting to try to digest not just three hikes, but now four rate hikes. And you're definitely seeing that with kind of the NASDAQ sell-off here. So with Jamie Dimon coming out saying, hey, you know, I'd be surprised if it's not more than four. You know, that's a, that's a pretty hawkish tone. That's almost as much of a hawkish pivot than much like what we saw from uh, the Fed uh, last week. Yeah, and I, you know, three always makes a trend uh, for the news, even for those following the market. So we started with Goldman's call last night that there's going to be four hikes this year. Then we got Bill Dudley's sharp words about how he thinks the Fed is going to be way more hawkish than it already has been. Now we have Jamie Dimon saying, again, personally, he thinks at least four hikes. Does that change the way you're positioning in your portfolio? Um, no, yeah, de- it definitely does. Because like I said just a moment ago, I think the market's just digesting four rate hikes now. So if we get more than four rate hikes next year and, you know, we might get a faster liftoff and some reduction in the balance sheet, I think we would definitely be paring back on some of the uh, highly valued tech and healthcare names that we're probably a little bit overly exposed to right now. So that would definitely make us change our position. But do you want to change a position? You know, do you want to close the door after the horse has already left the barn? You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely not. So, I mean, we're, what we're doing is be proactive in the space is just continuing to add to the more cyclical areas of the market, i.e. energy. Um, we've actually never been this uh, bullish on banks than what we've ever been. We've always been underweight banks. But over the last three, four months, we continue to add the banks to actually where we are now more equal weight relative to the market. So that's how we're being proactive there by adding to that space instead of detracting from some of the higher valued areas of the market. You know, it's, it's a tough call. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to manage money because I can sit <laughs> here and, and say with everybody, yeah, the Fed's behind the, you know, the eight ball and they have to catch up to it. But still, it's fundamentally a bullish sign for the economy. 
And we always get these, you know, kind of changes in sentiment just as soon as everyone's agreed on it. So is the next thing that happens a bunch of data misses? Look at the payroll already. And we all have to kind of reset our expectations. So, you know, that's why what I am curious about your positioning. Do you do you lock it in for 2022 at this point or do you just have to stay nimble? You know, I think we have to stay nimble. I mean, exactly what we saw last year is really the playbook. You know, you saw a bifurcation in the market. Hey, we want to be cyclical. We want to be defensive. And, you know, you have to be very tactical in that type of environment because underneath the hood of the market last year, majority of the stocks in the S&P 500 saw a correction above 10%. Yet the market never drew down more than just over 5% intraday on a given point. So you definitely have to be tactical. But you're exactly right, Kelly, right now. Right now in year two and year three of a recovery, it tends to be a little bit more difficult to, to manage money. But that just gives us opportunity being stock pickers that I believe that this year is really going to be a year of uh, stock pickers. And am I right to understand in terms of the stocks you're picking, you're generally overweight in financials and energy. You're looking to maybe pair back in technology. Do you want to give some examples of what you think would be the best names to own right now? Yeah, I think that the market has somewhat been a little bit draconian on the sell-off in the high-quality uh, growth stocks. Because I think this is actually kind of an attractive buying opportunity for names, say, like Adobe, Intuit, Salesforce. I think names that have really been caught in this fire sale that we've been seeing from the NASDAQ, which may be close to hitting uh, correction territory today. But, you know, I think on the other hand, we believe that some areas of the market of of the tech space actually deserve this recent uh, price movement. Uh, For example, say the overvalued, unprofitable companies that really never seem to, you know, inflect. You know, companies that one person specifically stated last week that they are considered like deep value. I don't agree with her by any means. So I definitely stay away from there. I think right now, though, overall investors are still a little bit timid here to be buying this tech, even though I'd be pressing them uh, pretty hard to be buying that high quality tech space that has substantial recurring revenue and EPS growth over the next few years of what we're projected to be closer to 15 to 25% in, in those names that I just mentioned. Is that why you, so some would say, well, wait a minute, why would you buy Salesforce at an 85 PE? But is that because it's earnings and revenue growth? Do you justify that multiple that it's not just about the multiple or a high multiple for you know, a lot less profitable companies is more of a red flag? Yeah, I think the market's really starting to digest a, a lot of things going on with that name. I just really like the, the recurring revenue aspect that you're seeing this. If we do see some type of volatility in the market, which is something that Jamie Dimon definitely was calling for there, was that we're going to want to own these names that have high quality, repeatable, you know, competitive moats with long runways for, for earnings growth. And that's what you're getting out of those names. I mean, just last year and in 2020, you know, you had that same argument with the, the, the MAGA names that, hey, they're really expensive here. Technology tends to be more of a cyclical space, but those names actually acted more defensively. And I think a lot of those names, even into a trading at that type of multiple, giving the recurring revenue, you know, could show some protection very much on the downside and outperformance during periods of volatility. All right, David, we will leave it there. It's great to see you again. Thanks for your time. Hey, David Wagner with Aptis. And we'll play more of those highlights from Jamie Dimon's interview in just a few moments. Up next, a bright spot in today's sell-off, the COVID vaccine maker, this one popping 10% today. And we'll hear from the CEO next on what's driving the action and what's coming down the pike next. Welcome back, everybody. Time for a little show and tell. 
That's where we show you a chart, tell you the story. And today we're looking at Moderna. Shares are down 50 percent from their recent high, but they're jumping today up eight and a half percent after the company said they're in talks for additional COVID vaccine contracts and have advanced purchase agreements for sales of about eighteen and a half billion dollars. And as far as supply concerns go, the CEO joined Squawk Box this morning from that J.P. Morgan Healthcare conference saying Moderna is in good shape. We're in a very different situation that we were last year. You know, last year we were ramping up the supply chain, building the manufacturing capabilities. And if you look at the output that we had in Q4 with 300 million doses, that was our highest quarter ever. We think we can supply two to three billion doses of uh, boosters uh, this year. Moderna is outperforming the other vaccine makers today, although they've all been under pressure lately. So we're seeing some bounce backs. Novavax, BioNTech up four to five percent. BioNTech's the biggest laggard since Monday, down 15 percent. Moderna down nine percent in that time. Novavax down seven percent and Pfizer, the relative outperformer. It's only down six percent. GameStop, AMC, BlackBerry, Clover Health. Remember all these? These are just a few of the names Redditors drove higher last year. We're going to check on the winners and losers one year into the Reddit rebellion next. Welcome back. It's been one year since Reddit traders appeared on Wall Street's radar with big gains in names like GameStop and AMC. Frank Holland is here with a retrospective. Which names are still heading to the moon and which have fallen back to Earth? Frank? Hey there, Kelly. Well, you know, GameStop has really gone from a struggling brick-and-mortar retailer to now a retail trading phenomenon over the past year, about a 600% gain. I guess that's to the moon, right? When we look at the top five most mentioned tickers on Wall Street bets in 2021, They were GameStop, AMC, Tesla, BlackBerry, and Palantir. Those names alone brought up more than 900,000 times. But when you look at all the memes and the emojis and the diamond hands talk, it just didn't always mean that the stock went to the moon. You look at AMC, like I said, about a 1,000% gain. But Palantir, Tesla, and BlackBerry, all of them underperforming the S&P 500 over that same time, despite a ton of interest, all by retail traders and a lot of talk on Wall Street bets. Wall Street Bets, it has 11 million members, and TikTok financial influencer Humphrey Yang, he's one of them. He made 50% of his gains in 2021 just from GameStop. The narrative was the retail investor versus the hedge fund, right? Um, So in that way, I think it was empowering. You took a cross-section of the people that are in Web3 and NFT space, and, and that hype and speculation, I'm sure many of them probably also participated in the Reddit rebellion. A lot of fang names, a lot of down names among the top 20 most mentioned tickers on Wall Street bets. But again, mentions and retail investor interest, it doesn't always translate into stock performance. Kelly? And it's still not over. We don't know what's going to happen this year, Frank. What about the companies involved, like at GameStop? They're still trying to make the most of this capital. Yeah, we're going to dig into that a little bit more tomorrow. One of the things that to think about here, though, GameStop stock has been down 30% since Ryan Cohen was named chairman, down more than 50% since Matt Furlong from Amazon was named the CEO. So sometimes the rise of GameStop and these names are connected. But as far as the, the stock performance, it doesn't seem to be a clear connection there. Yeah, no, and they've got a, a tall order to try to turn things around. Frank, always appreciate it. Thank you, Frank Holland. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. Busy hour. It's about to get busier. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. 
Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.